Welcome to this video on emptiness. I'm gonna talk a little bit about how emptiness is misunderstood. It does not mean nothing exists. Uh, how it developed in the Buddhist tradition and why emptiness is really related to Buddha nature and really can't be separated from that. So I actually wanted to start this discussion of emptiness well, with a couple of things. I wanna say first, I'm super glad that you're here because I think often people get freaked out by the idea of emptiness and people think it means that like nothing is real, nothing really exists. And that's actually not what emptiness means. So emptiness is a very widespread, um, you'll encounter it in a lot of schools of Buddhism. And I wanna explain first just very briefly how this idea kind of evolved and where you find it in Buddhism because not all Buddhist schools actually talk about emptiness, but if you've been coming to some of these sessions I've done on Insight Timer, you know that even in the earliest forms of Buddhism, even in the Four Noble Truths, um, there's a lot of discussion about why we're not the type of beings we think we are. And that leads to emptiness later. So I just wanna, I just wanna explain this a little bit first so you know where emptiness fits into Buddhist philosophy and, and forms of Buddhism. And then I'm gonna dive into like really what is emptiness? Why is it misunderstood often? And how can we actually use this teaching to like find inspiration and curiosity, like all these things that kind of keep us going forward on the path. So to begin with, there's, there's a way that Buddhists tell the history of Buddhism, which is they talk about three turnings of the wheel of Dharma. So to put this in like historical context, you probably know that Buddhism started with Shakyamuni Buddha, who's called the, the historical Buddha, the Buddha of our time. Uh, so that started about 2,500 years ago. And then about 500 years after the original teachings of the Buddha, there began to be this school called the Mahayana, which means the great vehicle and the view that the Mahayanists, the early Mahayanists had of themselves. So they're kind of like opening out the Dharma, um, embracing maybe more people having, they had a vaster vision of the aspirations that could kind of go with a Buddhist practice. So they talk a lot about, um, you know, in, in the oldest form of Buddhism, there's the idea that basically a Buddha just comes and teaches when the Dharma has died out of the world. So every so many years, every however many centuries, or, you know, Buddhism has these vast timescales. So they'll talk about eons, or if you want to think of it as millennia. So they say every now and then, you know, Buddhism, it's taught, it flourishes, and then it starts becoming corrupt and eventually it dies out and you need a new Buddha. So the Mahayanists were like, well, but wait a minute, like, couldn't we all become Buddhas? Like we all have Buddha nature. So I just wanna like flag that in the Mahayana traditions, Buddha nature is really important. And it's the Mahayana traditions where you find teachings about emptiness. So basically, the Buddhists, at least the Buddhists of Tibet. So I should say, you know, Tibetan Buddhism is a form of Buddhism that developed pretty late in India. So they were able to kind of look back at earlier developments of the Dharma in a way that obviously like the original Buddha couldn't because it was just the beginning of the Dharma, at least, you know, in this eon, if that's how you think about the history of Buddhism. So, 
So there's this idea of the three turnings of the wheel. And the first turning of the wheel is the Four Noble Truths. It's the Buddha teaching what we all know is like the core concepts of Buddhism. The Four Noble Truths are, first of all, that unsatisfactoriness, unhappiness is just part of life until we wake up to the true nature of reality. The second of the Four Noble Truths is that there is a cause for this unhappiness, and if there's a cause, then if we stop doing the cause, we stop getting the effect. The third of the Four Noble Truths, and I think this is a really important um, connecting piece between emptiness and Buddha nature and the original teachings of the historical Buddha, um, the third noble truth is that we can wake up completely out of any dukkha, any unhappiness or suffering whatsoever. And that means that our true nature is basically pure and luminous and wise. And the, the Dharma, the path of Buddhism really is about clearing off all that gunk. And then the fourth noble truth is called the Noble Eightfold Path. It's eight steps, or I would say like maybe eight components of the Buddhist path. And I don't want to get into detail. I've talked about these already. You can also just, you know, Google the Four Noble Truths and you can find them all. But basically, there's a path that allows us to wake up fully, completely out of any misunderstanding of the world and recognize ourselves as pure, luminous beings. Okay, so that's the Four Noble Truths. And you'll see, even in that presentation, the word emptiness is not used, but the ideas behind what we're gonna talk about in a moment, like the core ideas of, Buddha, of, of emptiness are already there. So that's like what Tibetans would call the first turning of the wheel of Dharma. And if you've ever seen um, images of the Dharma wheel, the idea is there's eight spokes and like the traditional presentation of samsara, of this cycle of death and rebirth, or if you wanna think about it in one lifetime, the cycle of us just like making the same mistakes over and over again in our lives or in our relationships, like just the cycle of us thinking we're about to arrive and never arriving is described as a wheel, the wheel of samsara. So there's also the wheel of dharma, which is how we counteract the wheel of samsara. So the idea is there's sort of three distinct times that this wheel was set in motion. The first, obviously, original teachings of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths. The second turning of the wheel is where we find teachings on emptiness. And so this, historically speaking, and, and I just wanna like say for the record, I'm speaking now as a scholar of Buddhism and not as a Tibetan Buddhist. Tibetan Buddhists think that all of this happened within the lifetime of the Buddha. But interestingly, they also talk about it, you know, in terms of the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths first, and then he taught about emptiness. And then the final turning, which I haven't talked about yet, is Buddha nature, and talked about that last. So even though they've kind of compressed everything into one lifetime, they still talk about these as successive turnings of the wheel, successive sets of teachings. So coming back to sort of historical time, the, the teachings on emptiness developed about 500 years after the time of the Buddha as the early Mahayana tradition was developing. <clears throat> so what that means is that people had had a lot of time to think about the original teachings of the Buddha and to really start honing and shaping and crafting some of the ideas that were latent in like the Four Noble Truths and teachings on things like impermanence, which seems really obvious, but most of us don't live as though we were impermanent or as though anyone around us was impermanent. 
excuse me. So, <clears throat> so these teachings around emptiness, you can find them in the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras. Um, so if you're familiar with the Heart Sutra, that is short for the Heart of the Perfection of Wisdom. It's super famous. It's chanted a lot of places throughout Asia, and it's all about emptiness. And um, there's a really famous saying that I'm actually gonna put in the comment here. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And that comes from the Heart Sutra, the Heart of the Perfection of Wisdom. Um, and I think it's a really good formulation of this doctrine of emptiness. So again, I'm gonna dive into what emptiness really is, how it can help us in our practice in just a moment. But I think it's really important to understand Buddha nature when we're talking about emptiness. So the third turning of the wheel, again, this is according to Tibetans, um, who sort of inherited the, the last version of Buddhism to evolve um, in India. <clears throat> but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the final turning of the wheel is on Buddha nature. And that is the idea that really at the core of our being, the very like deepest layer of our mind, you could say, is Buddha nature is clarity, is compassion, is insight, like all the qualities we're trying to develop as baby Buddhists, they're all already there. And the point of practice is not so much to develop these good qualities as to unearth these good qualities that are already existent in us somewhere. So <clears throat> having said that, um, let's go back to emptiness and do kind of a deep dive here. So the basic idea of emptiness is not that nothing exists. I feel like this is a really common misperception and I really want to address it in this context because if nothing existed, if nothing was real, if I'm not real, if you're not real, if like every being around us is not real, then why shouldn't we go out and harm each other? You know, why shouldn't I just eat all the sugar I want? Maybe this is the one lifetime I have. Maybe we're living in the matrix. I'm a, you know, computer generated character in someone else's video game. Like if we have that, yeah, exactly. Pat said, sometimes confused with nihilism. So people can go in that direction with this doctrine of emptiness. And the reason that doesn't work, the reason that's really not what Buddhism is pointing at <clears throat> is that emptiness means when we fix on an image, an idea of ourselves, an idea of someone else as real, when I think, and no one would say this out loud, but we all think this way sometimes, when I think I am my body, you know, it's not just that my body is getting older, I am getting older. It's not that my body is gonna die, I am gonna die. When we have, <clears throat> excuse me, that sense of who we are, then we end up getting stuck. <clears throat> we get stuck on a sense of our conventional self as real. Our ultimate self is Buddha nature. Our conventional self is you could say like the combination of this body and mind. 
there's not nothing here. There's obviously something here. Maybe there's nothing up here, but like we're real in the sense that we have experiences that feel real to us. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, gosh, I don't know where this throat issue is coming from. <clears throat> so when we talk about emptiness, or when as a Buddhist, when we reflect on emptiness in our meditation, <clears throat> what we're doing is not trying to like disconnect from everything. And like Pat said, kind of go into some sort of nihilistic state where like nothing matters. <coughs> Excuse me, nothing is real. I'm gonna try not to care about anything. That is not it at all. The way that we're, <coughs> the way that we practice emptiness, and this is similar, if you were here for the teachings I did on the Four Noble Truths, this is similar to the ideas that we talked about probably in the first and second noble truths that we are impermanent beings who mistake our impermanent selves for permanent or there's this idea even in the most even in the earliest forms of buddhist teaching of anatman or anatta which means lack of self like no inherently existent self which can sound terrifying to us, again, if we think that this conventional self is us. Because the whole practice of trying to realize what anatta or anatman means is very similar <clears throat> to the practice of realizing emptiness. We sit down and we think, <clears throat> is this body me? And if I reflect on it, my genes came from my parents and where did their genes come from? They came from their parents. Like you can go back all the way to like the beginning of the human species. If you're trying to look for the origin of your genes. Yeah, exactly. John says, I am not my thoughts. Exactly. I'm not my genes. Every cell, every molecule in my body is made up of air that I breathed in or food that I ate or water that I just drank. There's no molecule or cell or atom in my body that didn't come from somewhere else. So what part of my body is actually me? Like, can I, can I identify some part of it and say like, yep, that's it, that's me right there. I mean, if you do the experiment, you really can't. John brings in, I'm not my thoughts. The same thing. If you think you are your mind, then okay, what happens when you fall asleep? And for a while, if you're not dreaming, there's no thought going on. Or what happens when your mind wanders? And one moment you're thinking a happy thought, one moment you're thinking an angry thought, the next moment you're having a memory, the moment after that you've completely forgotten that memory. Like think about all the memories we've forgotten over our lifetime. If I am my memories, then what am I without everything I've forgotten? So. I'm basically, I'm just trying to give you a little tiny sample of the type of like teasing apart that you would do in meditation to loosen up that sense that I am this small sense of self. I am my body, I'm my mind, I'm my income, I'm my car, I'm my house, I'm my national identity, I'm my gender identity. You know, we just have so many inbuilt assumptions about who we are. And when we get stuck on those, we forget that there's a deeper layer to us. And that is what the doctrine of emptiness is all about. That we are empty 
of this inherent existence that we think is there. We're not empty of Buddha nature. Our Buddha nature is not a thing. We can't find it in our body. We can't even find it in our ordinary mind. The doctrine of emptiness, and more than the doctrine, really the practice of trying to realize what it means is all about going beyond ordinary mind, going beyond the categories that we divide the world up into. So emptiness, whether you're talking about the doctrine or you're talking about like the meditations that you would practice to realize emptiness, it's all about questioning what we think is real. So when we say, you know, I am empty of inherent existence, it doesn't mean I don't exist. It means that it, there's not some essence that I'm ever gonna find of clearness. You know, if I go looking for it in my life history or my genes or the current makeup of my body or even my mind, when I, when I look for that clearness, I can't find it. Everything that makes me up comes from something else. My body, even my mind. I mean, if you think about our ordinary mind, it's all about sense perceptions and thoughts. And sense perceptions break up our, our idea of the world into I am here and like my water bottle is over there or I'm looking at the screen but I feel like that screen is separate from me. I'm looking at you know the icons for each of y'all who are in this session but I feel like you're there and I'm here. So we're already splitting the world into these categories and the doctrine of emptiness says nope you can't there's no way to divide the world into me and you. Like if I even think about the trees outside the house where I live, it seems simple to say, well, they're obviously out there and I'm in here. But every time I breathe out, I'm producing the carbon dioxide that they're gonna use to survive. And then the byproduct of their metabolism is oxygen that I'm gonna breathe in so I can survive. So like I'm getting molecules from the trees outside. We're exchanging molecules. I hope this makes some sense. I mean, this is really something, it's something that takes time and processing and kind of not just hearing about it, but actually like reflecting and taking it in at a heart level for it to start touching us, for it to start kind of blossoming into a different way of experiencing the world. <clears throat> and I do wanna, I do wanna talk about Buddha nature. So I wanna move on soon from the topic of emptiness. <laughs> Jesse says, definitely. Raven says, it makes sense, but it's very deep. I totally agree. This is actually kind of what I wrote my dissertation on when I did my PhD. Like I, I wrote about different ways of describing emptiness in the Tibetan philosophical tradition. Also wrote about other stuff like contemplative states of mind and politics in Tibet, stuff like that. But it really, it's something that we can talk about in half an hour and hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. And if you're interested, hopefully it gives you like a jumping off point to do some more like thinking about it. But it's definitely not something where you're ever gonna understand it with your ordinary mind. Like the point is really just to do the practices and to come to a point where that ordinary sense of self falls away. And that's what I wanna talk about next is if our ordinary sense of self is empty, then what happens when we've unraveled the whole thing? 
Like we start out with this assumption that this body is me or this mind is me or this mind and body together in exactly the right way, all of that is me. And as we start teasing that apart, what we find is that actually we start to have these glimpses of spaciousness, of what some might call pure consciousness or pure awareness. We have these moments when all the categories, all the restrictions that our ordinary mind, you might almost say like our sort of, our mind based on our brain. Like we are animals, we have to be able to process the world in a dualistic way or we would get eaten. We wouldn't find food. <clears throat> but that's not all we are. So as we tease that apart, where we land is a very different way of experiencing ourselves and experiencing the world. And the Buddhist word for that is Buddha nature. So as we tease apart that conventional sense of self that gets stuck in our body, stuck in our mind and wants to make that us, wants to find like a, an inherently existent me in that somewhere, as we tease that apart, we find that we begin to open into spaciousness. We begin to just naturally land in a state of mind that's much more in line with Buddha nature. And some people have natural glimpses of this. The, the Buddhist tradition talks about it in terms of Buddha nature. Other traditions use different words, but this brings us to, again, Buddha nature as that third turning of the wheel of Dharma. And part of the reason historically that people followed up, that Buddhist teachers followed up this idea of emptiness with the idea of Buddha nature was that they felt that there was too strong an element of nihilism, that, that if you just land on emptiness as sort of the ultimate nature of reality, there is a danger of losing sight of what we open into. What we open into, Buddha nature, it is ultimate reality. There are no words to describe it. Until you experience it, you don't really know what it is. So it's hard to talk about and it makes sense that people would focus more on what we're not so that we can cleanse, we can purify, we can kind of wash out all that ordinary sense of self that obscures us being able to really get to know our true self. So that's the work of spiritual practice. This, this focus on emptiness, the focus on just cleansing, washing off all that gunk that's stuck on top of our true nature, which is Buddha nature. So it makes sense that there would be this big focus on emptiness in Buddhist philosophy, also in Buddhist practice, but it also makes sense that we have to recognize that there is that there's an opening, that there is something that comes after that, that there's a place where we land that isn't nothing, it's, it's a luminous emptiness. It's an emptiness that sort of shines from its own side with the possibility of everything that could ever possibly arise from it. So to wrap things up and kind of bring it back to that quote from the Heart Sutra, emptiness is form, form is emptiness, I think sometimes we're tempted to like push aside conventional reality because we want to get to the ultimate reality. We want to get to emptiness. We want to get to Buddha nature. And, and what those quotes, emptiness is form, form is emptiness, what they're really pointing to is the fact that when you really explore conventional reality, when you explore it with these tools that you would use to investigate 
try and find a real inherently existent self or real inherently existent water bottle or anything else in the world, when you use those tools to investigate the conventional world that we see around us, it's the conventional in which we find the ultimate, that these two are not separate. We have different ways of knowing the world. We have our conventional mind that knows objects of sight and sound and whatever we can think about. And the conventional mind just really cannot handle ultimate truth. But we also have ultimate mind. Buddha nature recognizes Buddha nature. We have a certain wisdom that's inherent within us and we may not be very skilled at listening to it. It may be like a very soft, small voice in our being, but it is there. And so in the context of talking about emptiness, I just wanna make sure that we talk about Buddha nature, that we talk not just about emptiness, but also form. You know, that it's really through an investigation of the conventional that we eventually accidentally land on something beyond the conventional, something that isn't describable in words. So <laughs> that's been a little bit of a, an overview of emptiness in Buddhism and what it is, what it's not, why it's framed the way it's framed. I hope that has been helpful. Um, the battery actually died on my camera <laughs> toward the end of the Insight Timer session. But I hope you've enjoyed this teaching. If you have questions about emptiness, Buddha nature, the way that emptiness and conventional reality go together, please drop them in the comments here. You can also find me on Insight Timer. I'll have a link to my publisher profile uh, so that you'll get invited to future live talks that I do. If you have a question and you want me to address it in a future video, just drop it in the comments. Um, I love hearing what people are interested in and I look forward to seeing you again online at some point. Bye.